Amen. Amen. Isn't there a sense of, a sweet sense of God's presence in the house today? I just believe this is just an awesome season of expectation and initiative and advancement for the kingdom of God. And it's exciting to be part of this. It really is. It really is. Some of you might be new here looking at me and saying, who is this guy? Um, I'm Pastor Seth. I'm one of the location pastors. I'm the lead pastor at King's Church Halifax. And uh, as I say that, we should welcome our campuses, West Campus and Halifax Campus. It's good to have everyone tuning in today. And uh, since the last time I've been here, um, I'm a changed man. I'm now a proud parent of three instead of two. Yeah. And for all of you who said it was hard, you were right. Yeah, it is like the wild, wild west at my house right now. Like when your two-and-a-half-year-old is caring for his seven-week-old sister and shaking her, you know. Uh, he loves her to death, and that's what terrifies me, you know. And uh, I'm here this weekend. I told my wife, I just said, hey, you know, just make sure you're alive by the time I get back. I've been texting her every 20 minutes. Hey, are you still alive? Just, just send me a text, just something. It doesn't even have to make sense. I just need to know that you are alive. But it's just a joy uh, to be here with you and to be sharing at all of our locations and even online today. And um, I'm excited about this series that we're in. And, and if, you have, if you're new here with us, we're in a series right now uh, in, in, we call Revelation. And it's in the book of Revelation. We, we weren't too creative on the title of this series, but uh, it's been a fantastic journey so far. How many of you agree that this has just been a phenomenal series so far? And I'm trusting that God has a word for us today as well. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to pick up where we left off um, last week, and uh, we're going to look in, we're going to dive in here for j- in just a few minutes, but I just, I, before we jump into the text, and we got some ground to cover today, I, I just wanted to take a moment of gratitude, and, uh, and I, I hope it's okay for me to say this, I don't want to sound conceited or pr- proudful, um, but what I want to be grateful for is us. I'm grateful for King's Church, are you? Like, God is doing something special in this church, and I think it's okay for us to talk about that, right? Like, it's okay for us to acknowledge that and say God is moving in unprecedented ways amongst us, and it's, it's amazing. You probably don't see it like I do, being in Halifax. We're four hours away, y'all, and it still feels like King's Church there. It's incredible. And uh, a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, I'll just share this. We, I, I brought a crew down on Celebrate Recovery Night here in St. John. And I just got to tell you, when we walked in, there was just a, a welcome that there is a family here. And it is bigger than what we have ever experienced before. And I just got to say, like, I want to honor that. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the family dynamic that he has in the church and in our church. If you're new here, you're walking in today to a family. And you're accepted uh, and, 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 and we're not perfect, are we? We're not perfect. Um, but we are being perfected, the Bible says. We are being perfected from glory to glory, the Bible says. And, and that's what we're finding out in the book of Revelation. Revelation, it, it, just to catch you up to speed, we're in the midst of uh, some, some letters to churches. Jesus has been to, to talking to the churches, and there's seven different churches and seven different letters. And uh, we've been following along. And even though these are le- letters to these churches, this is really a letter to our church as well. Because one of the things we've discovered is that this message, Revelation, is not just a past message. It's a now message. 
And what we're finding is that God is actually speaking to us through this word. Uh, Even though it was written 2,000 years ago, the word of God is alive and active, and it is speaking to us today. And we've been seeing God just do some incredible things through, uh, through the book of Revelation in our church. But as we've been tracking through these churches, and we've, we've covered five, and we're going to dive into the sixth one today, um, there are really two things that stand out to me. Uh, first and foremost, none of these churches have been perfect. Not one of them. I think you've kind of got the, the theme of that. Every church has its own sort of quirk and issue or whatever uh, to, with it. But on top of that, and this is where the good news comes in, is that Jesus is intimately involved in all of them still anyways. Like that's good news, church. That he's involved, that he's a part of the church, that he sees what is happening in our churches. In fact, there's a little phrase that continues to pop up to every letter where Jesus tells the church, he says, I know your deeds. I see you. I'm watching you. He's in the seats. He's on the stage. He's in the parking lot. He's all around us. Jesus is watching and he's not getting secondhand information. He is here and he's present. Amen? And for some of you, that might make you feel a little uncomfortable. And if it does, I want to challenge your view of God for a moment. It's important that we are encouraged by the fact that God is watching us, that he's ever-present, because let me tell you something, a truth that I want to expound on today. God is for you, and he is for us. And I feel like my assignment today is to give you an encouraging word. And to encourage you to step ahead in in the very thing that God has placed in front of you. And this is all going to make sense in just a moment. But I want to look in the text. And so let's look at this together. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7 here. And uh, we're going to do our tradition through this series. And we're going to read this together. Can we do this at all of our locations? By the way, you guys have been amazing at this the last few weeks. So uh, here we go. Uh, Verse 7. Ready? Set? Go. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I want to pause there for just a moment. Um, And as we've been looking at these letters, there's really two basic things that we have kind of identified. We've, we've talked a little bit about the place of this church. And Philadelphia, by the way, is not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is not the Fresh Prince's church. Like Will Smith did not go to Sunday school here, right? Uh, this is a church in uh, eastern Turkey. It's actually in a section called the Decapolis. And a little background of Philadelphia, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a common Hellenistic a city, which is just just a you know a common Greek city. It's actually known as Little Athens. There's just so many little temples and little things all around it. Um, but the, the Philadelphia, the, the name of Philadelphia is an interesting thing. One of the guys that founded this city, his name is Attalus, and he had this sort of weird uh, love for his brother, and uh, his nickname was Philadelphius. If you're having babies, put that at the top of your list. You imagine, like, here's my son, Philadelphia, right? But really, it means a city of brotherly love. That's what Philadelphia means. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about Philadelphia in just a few minutes, but I just want to kind of pause there and look what Jesus, and then look at the second thing, and this is the other thing, is that look at the introduction of how Jesus introduces himself. He says, these are the words of him who is holy and true. 
He is holy and true. Holy, what does holy mean? It means set apart. It means one of a kind. And essentially what Jesus is saying is that I am holy, I am God. I am, this is God speaking, I am the true one. I'm the authentic one. I am not the fake one. Understand in this culture there are lots of gods and multiple false gods and multiple temples all around. And Jesus is coming forward and he's saying I'm the holy one and I'm the true one. I am him. In fact, in just a couple chapters, when we get to heaven, aren't you excited to get to heaven someday, right? We're almost there in the book of Revelation, that is, by the way. But when we get there, one of the things you're going to find is when the church sees Jesus on the throne, the words that they use to describe him is, there he is, he's holy and true. The holy one, the true one. But then there's another phrase, and it's this. Uh, it says, and, and uh, let's see here, he holds the key of David. Now, this is a unique phrase in the book of Revelation. What is the key of David? Um, this actually comes from the Old Testament. I don't have time to turn there and read about it today, but you actually find this in Isaiah chapter 22, uh, at a time of Israel's history where Israel is in chaos. Jerusalem is in torment. There is sickness all around. Co- coronavirus has taken over Jerusalem, right? Um, there's all of this stuff that is happening, and in the midst of this, there is a kingdom administration that has gone south. And God shows up to this administer, his name's Shebna, and he says, I'm going to take you down from your place of power. I am actually stripping you from your office. And God isn't involved in politics, right? He says, I'm going I'm to strip you down from, from your office, and I'm going to actually give it to a guy by the name of Eliakim. And so he, God actually says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, uh, give uh, Eliakim your robes. I'm going to give him your job. And then he uses this phrase. He says, and I'm going to place upon his shoulders the key of David. Now, servants back then in that time were often given keys and their job was to go and unlock things. But it's an interesting phrase that is being said here in Isaiah chapter 22, and it says, I'm going to place the key of David upon him. This is an appointment. And what it basically means is that Eliakim is going to have unparalleled government authority and, and access to the city of Jerusalem. And so when Jesus says, I'm the one that holds the key of David, what Jesus is saying is, I have ultimate authority and I have access, ultimate access to the kingdom. And not only that, he has ultimate permission. He can let anybody in and out. And so that's where we're going to park there. Now we're going to dive into what else this is. I don't want to keep reading in verse 8. Look what it says. It says, I know your deeds. There's that phrase again. I see your deeds. But then look at this statement. See, he says, look, perceive, see it. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now, this word here that Jesus gives is not a correction. If you've been with us and you've been studying these churches with us, you notice that Jesus will use this phrase, I know your deeds, and and then he'll say something to the church of like, you've been bad. Like last week, the church of Sardis, I don't know if you remember them, but he comes along, he says, I know your deeds, and you perceive to be alive, but you're actually dead. And it's a word of correction. And the truth is, we need correction, do we not? It's not always, it's not always polite. In fact, sometimes it's quite painful. Some of us need more correction than others, don't we? 
Uh, my, dad, my dad just told me recently, I'm, I'm trying to correct my son. Uh, anyone that can help me with that, just speak to me after service, because I am just struggling right now, you know? But my dad said to me, he said, Seth, when you were young growing up, uh, like I'll, I just, you were like clockwork. Every six months, I just needed to correct you once, and you were good, right? Uh, other people, it's like every six days, you know? It's like, but we all need correction, but not everything is about correction, is it? There are some times where pivotal transformations happen in your life, and it's not a correction that is needed. It's actually a calling forth or a calling up. Some of the most significant moments in my life have been when people have come along and called me forth into something that I never saw for myself. I think of my youth pastor, 17 years old. And we were doing a youth service, and of course, I'm the, I'm the, uh, you know, the pastor's son, and the youth were doing the Sunday night service, and someone had to preach, right? Well, pick on the pastor's kid. It was me, right? And it was my youth pastor who said, Seth, I'm calling you forth. I see this in you. Get up there and preach. It was 10 minutes long, and I don't even remember what I said. You know, it was awful, right? But it was pivotal, a calling forth, it, was, it took something like that to get me to where I am today. I think also of uh, Pastor Brent, he's here, and Pastor Brent, I still remember, it was like planting the, the Halifax church. I still remember going to his office, and he set me aside, and he, but just before he, we, we launched the move campaign, and he said, I'm calling you forth. I'm calling you to come to the table. And there's pivotal moments in our lives where it's not a correction that's needed, it's actually a calling forth that is needed, and I want to suggest to you that we all have these. We all have these moments in our life where we're being called forth, and what God is saying to the church of Philadelphia and what he's saying to us today, to King's Church, is that God is the one that often drops these moments in our lives, and he places them right in front of us. God himself does this. And that's the praise. That's really the praise I want to get to is this. Jesus comes to the church and he comes to you and and I and he says, I have opened a door. I have opened a door. Now the phrase an open door in the New Testament actually means an opportunity. I'm giving you an opportunity. And not only is it an opportunity, it's an invitation. Notice like how simplistic this is, but how profound it is that this door is open right? It's an open door. It's an invitation. How many of you know it's easier to walk through an open door, not a closed door, right? We all know that, right? Yeah, we do. That's awesome. But anyways, like, I, because I remember, like, just a a couple weeks ago, my daughter, somebody in my house, one of my kids, I don't know who it was yet, I heard an uh uh-oh from downstairs. And we go downstairs, and someone had locked the bathroom door to her in our laundry room. Like, it was locked from the outside. You know what I mean? It's locked from the outside. And I was kind of excited at first because I'm like, I get to pick a lock. Like, that's kind of bad, right? So I'm going to try to do that. And so I looked up on YouTube, and I, I made a pick, you know, those picks with like, I don't know, like uh, I was using something. I was using something to, to, to try to pick this lock, and I just failed. The, you know, these, these, these uh, paper clips weren't working. Then my shoulder didn't work, you know. Um, and then my father-in-law walks in. He just got there from Fredericton. He walks in, and he, he goes downstairs with his credit card, and one swipe, it's like, boop, it's open. And I was like, well, I got it started, you know? But I, I got to be honest with you. It's so much better to have someone open a door for you, right? 
And try to open yourself. And Jesus says, I have placed before you an open door. I've actually put in front of you a divine opportunity. Now, we don't know what that is for the church, but what I believe it is for us today is this. This is what I think this means. It means this, that God is not okay with where you are right now. That he has another place for you where you're supposed to finish and where you're supposed to grow, go. There is more on the other side of the open door for your life. And I gotta tell you something, I'm excited. I love our God because our God doesn't settle, does he? Our God calls us farther. Our God calls us higher. Our God elevates his people, amen? And this is the message he's giving to this church. One thing about the church of Philadelphia is that out of all the churches we've covered, this is the smallest one. It's also uh, in a, not in a metropolis like the other ones. The other ones are bigger and better or whatever, but this is a small church. In fact, what's interesting about Philadelphia is that it had a nickname other than Philadelphia. It was known as the gateway to the east, and it had this, it had, it just, it was a gateway for language, it was a gateway for trade, uh, it was a, a gateway for culture, and what this place lacked in prestige, it made up for in position, and so what Jesus is saying is actually you're in position. And, and I, I just, it's a place, and let me say it this way, it's a place that had the least amount of current influence, but it's the, it was in the greatest position for future impact. Let, let me say that again, because I think that's important for us to hear. It is a place that has the least amount of current influence, but it is in the greatest position for future impact. Now that hit me this week. Because when I think about that statement, I think about the church of Atlantic Canada. We have the least amount of influence right now, but God is positioning us as a church to have the greatest future impact, amen? And if I could just take a moment, and I'm going to go out on a limb here because I don't do this very often, but I want to prophesy over our church and over the church of Atlanta, Canada, God is putting an open door in front of us. He is putting a divine opportunity in front of us right now. And on the other side is renewal and revival like we've never seen before. I really believe that. And it's happening. Listen, the future is for the ones who walk through the open door. That's the future. And it's not just for us. I also believe that God has an open door for you. And I don't know what that is, and, 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 and that's really for you to explore, but maybe on the other side of the door in front of you, maybe there's promotion, or there's a solution to your life, or there's a blessing for your life, or there's freedom, or there's a brand new life on the other side of the door. I don't know, maybe there's peace. His dream life for you is on the other side of the door, and I just want to encourage you today that there is a divine opportunity in front of you. There is, and it's exciting, but it's also our dilemma. It's our problem. Because God doesn't give you his dream for your life right now. What he gives you is a door. And the problem is, is that sometimes you and I, we never walk through it. See, the Church of Philadelphia doesn't have a current problem, but now it has a possible problem. It has a future problem. Jesus is saying, I've, I've got this door in front of you, and everything on the other side is life and life abundantly, but you could miss it. 
You may not actually walk through it. And I got thinking about this thought this week, and it's really the tension point that I think a lot of us face in church today and in my own life. I've seen this play out in my own life. But here's the tension point. God has opened a door for you, but many of us are still living like we're shut out, like it's closed on us. Ever, anyone ever feel that way? Anyone ever feel like other people have found their life, but you haven't found yours yet? You ever, you ever kind of compare your life and look around and say, man, it seems like God's blessing is all over them. Now, I feel that way when I'm driving sometimes. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, like it's, it's that person in front of you who always makes it through the green light and you're stuck at the red light. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that happened this week. I was with my daughter taking her to school and uh, we were going down Sackville Drive. And those of you here in St. John, you're like, what's Sackville Drive? Uh, I don't have time to explain it. Anyways, the people in Halifax know this, but Sackville Drive is known for their pizza joints and used car dealerships and stoplights. There's like a million of them. And it's called The Strip. That's why they actually call Sackville Sack Vegas. Anyways, that's just weird. Anyways, but anyways, so I'm driving and I hit every light, right? And the person in front of me gets every light. And I'm just like, God, like, I'm supposed to be the one that goes through every light. In my mind, I'm saying that, but reality is I'm just stop and go, stop and go. How many of you, in your mind, you are thinking that your life could be better? I think that's why we like movies so much, so that we can fantasize about a better life. For two hours, I can be Maximus, or I can be William Wallace, but in reality, I'd be a dead man if I actually lived back then, you know? Those guys are tough. But what Jesus is saying to the church is like, you don't have to imagine it. You don't have to fantasize about it. I have set before you an open door, and you know that through that door is, is, is going to change the course of your life and your character. Everything you need is through that door. But I wonder today how many opportunities we've missed because, because we chose not to go into it and went away from it. We, we don't advance we avert. We have misdirections. And I'm, I'm here today to tell you that there is real pressure against us walking through that door. There are aversions that the enemy wants us to take, but I want to suggest to you that they're not as credible as, they, as you think they are. And we find this actually in the text, in the first aversion, there's probably many of them, but the text actually gives us three of them. The first aversion is that there's no certainty. Everyone, anyone ever have like no certainty in your life? You're just uncertain about things? Philadelphia is a place of uncertainty. This is a place that is dangerous to Christians. Actually, the, history tells us that the, the church father, Ignatius, actually walked through there, chained uh, to a Roman like, kind of prison train. And as he walked through, he greeted the church with his chains. And there's actually stories that the, the, the Philadelphian Christians, some of them, got caught, and in that chain gang, they got hooked up. And they, started, they, they walked with him to, to Rome, where they were fed to the lions in the Colosseum. Like, this is uncertain 
you know, culture. This is uncertain territory. Like the culture is toxic and harsh. And some of you may be feeling that way about your life. My life is uncertain. Some of us, we use the, you know, like my, my, my schedule is uncertain. Don't you wish God just like checked your calendar first? I mean, my goodness. God, you really want me to plan a church? I'm going to have a baby. You want me to grow the church? I just had another baby. Right? I'm pretty sure God's looking at me and saying, that's, all on, that's on you, bro. Like, <laughs> calm down, man, you know? But the point is this, and I want to encourage you today. Some of you are in the most hectic times of your life, and you're feeling great pressure right now, but a time of great pressure could also be a time of great opportunity. Some of the most transforming moments in your life, and I can speak true to this out of my own life, is that they come, the most important and most defining moments come from in the most inopportune times. And uncertainty doesn't actually distinguish your faith. Well, hear me on this. Uncertainty does not, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't put your faith out, it raises your faith up. Like uncertainty, uh, you know, just because you have faith, it doesn't remove the possibilities of uncertainty. It doesn't remove the possibilities of danger. Faith actually thrives in uncertainty. It does not make your faith, uh, faith uh, void. Uncertainty actually makes your faith valid. That's why it's called faith. It thrives in uncertainty. You know, I've been doing research this year just on renewals and revivals and moves of God as we've been studying this um, even way back in the fall. And some of the greatest moves of God, what preceded them, were some of the most uncertain times in history. And so I want to encourage you today, don't let uncertainty be the reason to hold you back from advancing from what God has in front of you. Don't let uncertainty do that. But then it's not just uncertainty, there are other things too that kind of come into our lives. The, the next one is that we don't have ability to, to, to do this, or strength. Verse 8, let's see if I can find this on the screen. Verse 8 says this, Jesus says this to the church, he says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He's saying, I see I'm involved, and I see that you, you think you're weak. You're a small church. And how many of you know that bigger isn't always better? Smaller isn't always better. Better is subjective. Did you know that? Like better is perspective. Um, better is not something you can measure with your eyes. Strength isn't something you can measure with your eyes. Strength is subjective. How many of you know people who look stronger than they really are? Right? I, I found this out in high school. Uh, we, uh, we started a wrestling federation when I was a senior in high school. <laughs> in my friend's uh, living room. And uh, every Friday night, we, uh, we had our matches. And throughout the week, um, we kind of put these matches together. And let me just tell you, I am predisposed to be a coward. I have a genetic makeup of a coward. I'm really good at getting other people to do things, but not, I'm not doing it, right? But one particular week, um, there was, uh, there was a, a rumor going around that Seth was gonna be wrestling Friday night. And sometimes it's just mob mentality, right? And, um, you know, it came to Thursday, and I found my opponent was a guy named Terrence. And they called him Big T. 
And I'm just like, I don't, this guy was twice my size, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I wasn't that big of a guy then, and I, it was, you know, but I, I went into this ring, if you will, with fear and trepidation, you know? And uh, I was in my corner, and Big T was in his corner, and I looked across the, the ring, and I could tell this, this guy's going to take this way more seriously than I am, you know? And uh, anyways, it was like, all right, three, two, one, go. And he bolted towards me across that ring, right? And I just kind of took a deep breath in, and I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well. And I just ran at him. I'm like, this is going to be a collision here. And when I got to him, I ducked, and I somehow lifted my legs and picked Big T up and shoved him right on the ground. Yeah. Heavyweight champion of Pulaski, New York. That's me. But I found out something. I was stronger than I really was. And I want to encourage you today that you may think that you're weak, but you're actually stronger than you really are. You, you are. You're stronger than you really are. I thought I would, you know, I, I counsel people all the time who are just working this faith journey out. And I hear this statement all the time, like, I thought I would be stronger by now. Or I thought, you know, I thought I would be better now. Can I just say something to you? You are. Look where you started from. And look how you stayed. And this is what Jesus is getting at. Look at the statement. He says, I know you have little strength, yet... You have kept my word and have not denied my name. You have actually persevered. You have, you have persisted in the face of, 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 of harshness and in a toxic culture. You are actually stronger than you really are. Can I just encourage someone today with this word? In the kingdom of God, strength is not based upon your ability, but upon your abiding. Jesus said it in John, in the, in the book of John, the writer wrote this in his gospel. He said, if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Well, much fruit has to stay on a very strong vine, right? So hear me on this. If you are abiding, those who abide will advance. So don't let the lack of strength or the perceived lack of strength that keep you locked up and not moving forward. But the text continues, and so it's not just the ability. Verse 9 uh, continues. It says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, that's a harsh term, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but they are liars. What is Jesus addressing here? Well, basically what we find out in the church of Philadelphia is that there are, uh, there are people who were once Orthodox Jews who became Christians. They're actually called Messianic Jews. And... Uh, and, and when they converted to Christianity, uh, historians tell us and commentators tell us that there was a great backlash from their own people. And so they were banned from the synagogue. And, and they were also like, uh, there, were, there were things going around that were said about them as well, like uh, just false accus- accusations that were be- being spread about these people. Now just think about that for a moment. These are your friends and family. This is not your enemy. We can deal with our enemy, right? But it's hard to deal with those who are adversaries, those who are within our own camp that we struggle with. And so there, I, I know like this is the hardest thing for many of us, and I think the thing that locks us up is that there's no support from the people that are, that are close to us, the people that love us. But I gotta tell you today, that the real tragedy for us is when we let other people dictate the defining moments of our life. 
Like the real, some of you, listen, some of you, your freedom and your breakthrough is being held up on the opinion of someone else. And the tragedy is not to let the defining moments of your life be the ones that you choose and the ones that you walk in, but sometimes we just passively sit back and let others choose for us. This is why I believe so many people still live in the past. So many people still live with regret and bitterness and unforgiveness because we let other people who have, you know, we, we, because we let our lives be affected by the people we least trust. And so we avert, we defer. And I just want to tell you this today because I've seen this happen in my own life. And just hear me on this. You can never advance with people who are always living in retreat. You can never advance with people who are always living in retreat. But you can advance in the midst of people who are living in retreat. We actually see this. Uh, Paul the Apostle did this all the time. This is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. This is what he says at the end of his letter. He's writing to uh, his friends and to Timothy and all those uh, apostles and those who are closest to him. And he says, this is just a simple statement, but he says, I will stay on, I will stay true, I will persevere here in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door has a effective work has opened for me. It has happened. But then look at the next statement, and there are many who oppose me. That's it. Listen, when God puts an open door in front of you, the enemy will often put a great opposition in front of you as well. But don't let it dictate. Don't let it avert you. Because there's hope, and that's really where we get to the promise of this text. And the promise is this. We know the key holder. We know the one that holds the keys. Amen? We know the one who is the key of David. We know the one who has all authority and has all access. You can advance through an uncertain door because you're certain in the one who opened it for you. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. And actually, we read about this. Look what what Jesus says, and, and just listen to these promises. He says, I will make them, speaking of these Jews, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it for you. I I have all the resources. Remember, I'm the key holder. And I'm about to pour it out on you for those of you who are abiding, for those of you who are persevering, for those of you who are hanging on. But it continues, verse 10, since you have kept my commandment to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Like, we're not going to get into that today, but that's a major statement right there. Verse 11, but I am coming soon. Listen to the hope of this. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. No one will take the crown that I've given you. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. What's amazing about this statement, this idea of a pillar, is that Philadelphia was actually a city that when they honored people in their city, they built a pillar in their honor. It's kind of like a sports stadiums of today where they put statues of athletes who have done great things for the team outside the stadium. And what Jesus is actually saying is that when you hold true, I am actually going to build a pillar that is going to stay. I'm going to honor you that is going to be long lasting than what you're facing right now. That's what he's saying. It's actually fascinating when you read more about the city of Philadelphia. This city was actually known for earthquakes. And they had a couple big earthquakes where all of, the, 
all of the infrastructure and buildings and things just toppled to the ground. Some of them became dust. But excavators, that they've gone back and they've looked at what has remained. Do you know what has remained? Pillars of churches. Pillars of churches have remained. Why? Because because we know the we know the key holder. We know the one that has a supreme authority. We know the one that has access and permission. And the thing is, is that God has placed before you this one who has a key holder, has opened a door, and he has placed it in front of you. You see, here's the thing. I think a lot of us are still praying for God to open a door that's already open. But what is still locked up is not a door, it's you. And not only does he want to unlock a door to your future, he has to unlock you to walk through it. And some of you, you're still locked up. There's a door open for you. And if you only knew what was on the other side, only you would step through. Seize it. Take it. But we're still locked up. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Because Jesus came and he he died on a cross, he spread his arms open. Not on a door, but on a cross so that you and I could be opened up in our lives, so that we wouldn't be locked down by our past and our bitterness and our, and our unforgiveness and our rejection and, and our shame and our guilt and our sin anymore. He came to unlock us so that you and I could walk in and step into an opportunity that he placed before us. And so the procedure for today, the procedure for your life, is not one that's found in the text It's one that's gotta be found in your own life. The procedure is this, you've gotta seize the opportunity. See, God has placed a door, an open door in front of you, it's an opportunity. And I wanna tell you this, divine moments are unlocked by our choices. Do you know the most spiritual thing you can do is make a choice? Do you know that? You know, most of the time we make a decision, it's just mundane, it's whatever. But it's one of the most spiritual acts that you, you ever do with your life. Before you do anything that you think is spiritual, like worship, and we do worship, and when we pray, and we love our neighbors, those are just a byproduct of a choice. Right? We choose to worship. We choose to pray. One of the most spiritual acts that you and I could ever do is make a choice. Even if you're here today and you don't consider yourself a spiritual person, it is one of the most sacred acts. It is one of the most precious gifts that God has ever given us. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, God has his people out in the desert, and Deuteronomy chapter 30 is where you find this, and he, he comes before them, and they're at a crossroads. It is a defining moment of the people of Israel, and he looks at them, and he says, I've set before you life and prosperity and death and darkness. Choose life. I've said it before you, but you have to choose. Choose life. Seize the opportunity that is in front of you. And to the church of Philadelphia, and perhaps the church of King's Church, 
And to the church of Atlanta, Canada, he is saying to you and I, I have put an open door in front of you. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? On the other side, life is waiting for you. On the other side, grace is waiting for you. Other, on the other side, breakthrough is waiting for you. On the other side, your healing is waiting for you. What are you waiting for? Your future is on the other side of that door. You know, I often wonder that many times I hear people say this, well, I'm just waiting on God. And I wonder if in those moments God is actually waiting on us. You see, one of the things as I read the scriptures I'm being more and more convicted of in my own life is that God has already given us a go. But we keep acting like a no is over our lives. And if I could just speak this over us today, as God has placed his plan and his future before us, if I could just activate this in our souls, and I can't do it, but I know the Holy Spirit can. Listen to me. You go until you get a no. There's a divine go, and there, that is what it means to have decisive faith, to actually step in and to seize the opportunity. What would happen if you said yes to the very thing God has placed in front of you right now? What would happen? How would your life change? How would, the how would our character change? Church, how would the region change? If we just said yes, and we stepped through and we advanced, and the good news is today, the Bible says, and what Jesus says, I have opened a door that will never close. I'll open a door that will never close. No matter what kind of life you lived, no matter what kind of pressures you face, no matter how many poor choices you have made, the next moment, which is this moment, is waiting to give new birth to you. And there's an opportunity, there's a door in front of you today. For some of you, it's a door of eternal life. You've never advanced through the door. You've deferred, you've deferred, you've averted for all sorts of different reasons. Maybe you're just uncertain of what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe it's just, you just don't know if you're good enough. Or you've got other people saying, no, you don't want to do that. Well, there's an open door in front of you, and he's pressing on us today. Choose. Seize the opportunity. For some of us, it's not just a, an opportunity unto eternal life. It's, a, it's an opportunity to more life. You know, one of the things I found in my walk with Jesus is that when I go through another door, and I spend a little time on that side, there's another door waiting for me. And then there's another door. And there's another door. And there's another door. Some of you have walked past doors your whole life. And I just want to say this to you. Our God is a God of second chances. And he keeps placing doors in front of us. And he's saying the door is open. Walk. Seize it. Advance. Be courageous, church. Let's be courageous. In the face of adversity, in the face of our uncertainty, we have a faith to stand and to walk forward and to move ahead into this season. And I believe God has great things for you. I believe God has great things for us. But we have to get up, and we have to go. So today, the invitation is here. There's an open door. Jesus said it. There's an open door. It's open. You don't have to barge your way in. You don't have to try to pick it with a lock. 
There's an open door to your future. There's an open door to your breakthrough. There's an open door to your freedom. Today is the day for you to choose life. Choose life. Seize the opportunity that you have in front of us. I want to pray for us. And I just want to invite you, if you want to come and make a declaration and say, I'm, I'm standing and I'm going to walk through that door. Or maybe there's some of you here that's just saying, I, I need to, I need to, op- I need to, advance now and an advancement may be just saying I'm going to say yes to Jesus for the very first time and if that's you here today seize the opportunity seize the opportunity don't let this day go by and miss the open door and if you're here today and that's you I want to invite you I want to invite you even right now why don't we pray together I just want to pray together can we all just pray this prayer together let's pray together Lord Jesus We thank you that you've placed an open door in front of us. We say yes to what is ahead. We thank you that you opened our arms, your arms, on a cross and died for my sins. I step into life and life abundantly. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you that you see that I'm worthy of an open door. So I advance today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, why don't you show yourself to God and why don't you show yourself to the world? If this is the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, let me just see a hand. Is there anybody out here? We've got a couple hands over here. We've got people coming unto life. Amen. That's courageous, church. That's awesome. Amen. Let's celebrate. Amen.